Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We open our Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2, as we continue our study from Philippians, and as we do so, want to uh, give you the key word for today. Our key word for the day is the word mind, the mind, and how we use our mind. I was thinking about this and the difference between defining the brain and the mind. If you look in a dictionary and look up the word brain, you'll see quite a complicated um, definition uh, having to do with the nervous system and everything. When you come to the look up the word mind, what is the what is your mind? What is the difference between your mind and your brain? We talk a lot today about artificial intelligence and computers learning to think. We're going to talk about thinking today from this passage. What is the word mind? The definition for the word mind is, let me turn this power on, thank you. Okay, definition is the element or complex of elements in an individual that feels, perceives, thinks, wills, and especially reasons. The famous statue of the thinker, right? Uh, that becomes sort of synonymous with philosophy. But the idea of what we feel, perceive, think, will, and especially how we reason. You know, the word think is a word that we use all the time. It's one of those words we use maybe without really thinking, right, <laughs> about what it means. Uh, it can be everything from, I think I'll have a Coke today, um, I thought about you yesterday. Let me give some thought to this. I really want to think through this situation. I really got to work on this. I got to ponder this. Um, it has such a wide range of meanings, the word think, but what our mind does and how we think. You know, we think all day long from the time we get up uh, till the time we go to bed. And maybe while we're sleeping too, right? The dreams. We're thinking. We're thinking, thinking, thinking. And this is our key word this morning. The mind and what we think as we come to Philippians chapter 2. But let's pray. Father, as we open your word, and it is your word, we do believe that the scriptures are your holy word, that you've inspired them, and that all the words in our uh, scriptures are the words you intended us to have, so we may know you, and we may know how to walk with you. We know your wonderful plan of salvation and redemption. So we ask your Holy Spirit to guide us, as we consider your word this morning, as our children meet around your word and sing around your word today, we pray your blessing upon them. Later, as our youth group meets tonight, as we gather for evening service, we just pray your word will be lifted up and honored and it will be put to use in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. All God's people can say, Amen. We're awful quiet today, right? It was great worship time, great music. It's beautiful weather. I know we're thinking about the beautiful weather. It's going to be nice this week. And uh, we're looking forward to a good week of walking with the Lord. Ephesians, or Philippians chapter 2 really begins in the Greek, uh, therefore, therefore. It connects with chapter 1. So remember, as we study through this epistle, we're doing it in in chunks, if you will, little section each Sunday. But I do want to remind you each week, I've tried to remind you, this is a letter, it's an epistle, has all the markings of a friendship letter from the first century. And when it first was delivered from the Apostle Paul, who was in prison in Rome, to the church at Philippi, 
They gathered like we are here today. They gathered together and they anticipated and expected when they found out a letter from the Apostle Paul has come. And the first time they heard this was in a public setting like this where it was read and they listened to it and they considered it. It was written to them as a church family. Therefore, now you notice in the, in our, in the NIV and many of your translations, the word if, which is a, is a conditional word, right? If you do this, I'll do that. Uh, it's, it sounds conditional, but in the, in, we've, I've mentioned this before, in, in the Greek language the Bible was written in, in Koine Greek, it's not always so much a condition in the sense of we think of it, but it's more of a statement of, of, of fact to get you to think about what they want you to think about. So don't think of it so much conditionally. We can almost use the word since oftentimes in place of it if we'd like. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete. And we'll stop right there. So let's, let's reread it with this. Since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, and since you have comfort from His love, and since you have fellowship with His Spirit, and since you have tenderness and compassion, Paul says, make my joy complete. I want, I want to hear about your unity. I want to hear about your, your work together as a family of God. I want to hear these positive things about you that these words, these are beautiful words, aren't they? encouragement, comfort. The way the word is used here is the only time in the New Testament that this particular word for comfort is used. Unity, comfort, love, fellowship, tenderness, compassion. I mean, aren't those all beautiful words? Isn't that what you would like? Isn't that what you, how you would like to define and describe our church family, your own family, a family where it's, where there's compassion, people are tender toward one another, People are willing to help each other have comfort. People are willing to share the love of God through the Spirit. This is what he is wanting in this community at Philippi. Remember, this church was birthed by the river when the women were down there praying. And then we had the Philippian jailer and his family. And, and we had this, you know, this new beginnings of this church here. And, and it's been some years and Paul says, this is what I want for you. This is what I want for the family of God. Since you have these things, Verse 2, make my joy complete. Now I want you to notice this, what Paul says here. Here's our, this is why we're talking talk about the mind and thinking today. Here, how do you do this? How do you, how do you, how does this happen? How, how would a church body be described this way? How would your family, how would our family, how would this church family, how would our Christian community in Seattle, how would it be described this way? Paul says this, do this by being, now notice, like-minded, having the same love. Now my NIV says, being one in spirit and purpose. But the, the word here I want, us, I want you to think about is this word like-minded. It's, a, it's the word for thinking. I want you, Paul says, I want you to think alike. I want you to have a certain unity in how you think. I want you to think, and he's going to give us some example and reasons why we should think properly about one another and about God's work. I want you to be like-minded. And then he says, I want you to have the same love. I want you to have this genuine love. If there's any love 
I want you to have this love, this genuine love that comes from God. Some have seen in the, in the verse previous sort of a, a Trinitarian or Trinity type with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You, you know, united in Christ, comforted from His love and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And, and He says, I want you to have this love. I want you to think the same. I want you to have this love. And then He emphasizes it once again. I want you to notice that the next, the next phrase here that I said in my, in my translation says, one in spirit and purpose. That, that's a good translation of the thought, but I, I think it's important to, to, to actually, to get, get the, the phrase here. In the New King James, it translates it this way. Being of one accord, and it's the word soul. Being of one accord or, or similar in soul, and in one mind. And here in this verse, we have this word mind twice. How you think twice. Paul says, how do you do this? How would you create this sort of a context where these wonderful qualities are obvious and are practiced? He says, by being like-minded, having the same genuine love, and then being of one soul in how you think and in one mind. Mind, a mindset, how you think about one another, how you think about God, and that our, that we are knit together in soul. You know, we use the term soulmates, right? We talk about people who are soulmates. Someone will say, that's, I found my soulmate. Someone where you, you, you have a, you have a similar, a, a kinship in your soul, how you, you know, what is your soul? You know, the essence of, of your being, your soul. And, and, this, and this is where we kind of make this distinction between just the physical part of our brain and the part that is our mind and our thinking and our feelings. Paul says, I want you to have these feelings together. I want you to be one soul and one mind in how you think. This is what Paul wants for the church, the body of Christ. This is written to the church. This is not just individual, but to the church as a church community. I want you to have this type of attribute. And then to, to, to how, how, does this, how does this work itself out? Notice what he says here in verse 3. Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, we by nature uh, tend to be selfish people. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm, the, I'm talking about myself, okay? We, we, we tend to think of ourselves. We tend to put ourselves first. We know part of our human condition in our sinfulness, in our human nature, we, we tend to do this, put ourselves first. And Paul says, listen, as a fellowship of the family of God, if you're going to have this mind and this, this one soul, and you're going to think the same, you're going to be like-minded. You don't have to agree on everything. Being like-minded doesn't mean you always agree on everything, right? I mean, we can have disagreements and all sorts of things, but we can do that with a, with a unity and a like-mindedness that we love each other, and we can grow from those differences. The like-mindedness is a mindset. It's a mindset of what we want and what God wants for us. And Paul says, don't do anything. This is pretty strong. Do nothing. Nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He's talking to the church body. He says, when you, when you're together, when you're serving, when you're worshiping, and you're, a, you're a body together in our, our testimony to our community, don't do anything that is vain, that is conceited, that is focused on you. Paul says, don't do anything like that. But instead, notice what he says here, in humility, 
Consider others better than yourselves. In humility. This is really interesting. You know, in the first century, this type of character, this type of quality was not something that was lifted up. And in fact, it was sort of put down. In the Greek culture, it was not an admirable thing to talk about humility and humbleness. This was not an admirable thing. But in the Christian, in the Christian context, beginning with our Lord Jesus Christ, as we'll see, and in the, in the epistles, we are told that humility is actually an essential Christian trait and character quality that God wants you to have, and that God wants me to have, to be humble, to be humble, to have humility. You know, in serving the Lord, what is, what is the thing that you, that you want uh, more than anything? Is you, you want humbleness and you want humility. You don't want someone who is in it for them, serving the Lord for their, for their glory and themselves. And when we when we serve, when we when we preach, when we teach, when we lead worship, we are not up here for ourselves. We are here to draw attention to God. And in our walk and in our service with one another, Paul says, "Be humble, have humility. Don't put yourself first. But notice what he says here, friends. This is really this is really strong language. This is really powerful. And he's talking to the church. He says, "But in humility, consider others." Better than yourselves. I'm supposed to think of you as better than me. And likewise, how you think. We are to think of one another as better than ourselves. Each of, each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now this, this, if there was a, if there was a piece of advice that, that you could, I could give to anybody, you know, uh, in your relationships, whether it's in your family, whatever relationship we have, and especially as Christian brothers and sisters, th- this is the, this is the essential quality that, that we are to have, that I am, we are to think of others better than ourselves. I mean, how can you go wrong? If, if you have two people in a relationship and each thinks of the other, as more important and better than themselves, and the other person is thinking the same, if you're both thinking that, and you create that cycle, how, how can you go wrong? How can you go wrong? Paul says, listen, we are to be humble, and I, we are to actually think and have a mindset. Each, when he says, each of you should look not only in his own interest, the idea here is consider, it's our word think again. This word think keeps popping up in this passage, where he says, you are to consider, think of others as better than yourselves. And this is not an occasional thing. Well, like today, I'm going to think you're better than me. Or today, my wife is better than me, but the next five days, no. No, this is a mindset. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking that impacts our lives, that we are to have this type of thinking and mindset that we routinely and regularly come to the place where we are able to think of others as more important than ourselves. Putting the other person first. It's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. And Paul says, each of you should think this way. He doesn't say, why don't you give some thought to this? He doesn't say, well, for some of you, this might work. No, he says, we should do this. We should do this. There's no excuse. We should do this. We should be able to do this, to think of each other as more important than ourselves. Now listen, friends, we have here this next pad. You'll notice in your Bible, if you have a newer translation, you're going to notice that verses 6 
through 11, introduced by verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Here's our example. And you'll notice it's in a sort of offset and like almost like you expect from the Psalms and so forth, a Hebrew poetry. You'll notice that it's like a hymn. In fact, this is, this is written as a hymn. This is something that has this, this, this sense you could sing this, you could say this together. And it may have been so in the early church. This may have been something they sang together. And you'll notice verses 6 to 11 that that's what it is. But he introduces it by saying, here's what your attitude should be. It should be the same as Christ Jesus. Boy, that's pretty strong. That you and I should have the same attitude that Christ Jesus, God himself, had. This is our model. You know, we talk about the golden rule, to do unto others as you would have them do unto us. I would call this the platinum rule. I think this this is the supreme this, what we're going to read here, this example of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we, and we can't exhaust this by any stretch of imagination this morning. There is, there is some very, very serious and deep Christian theology in this section here. And, um, but, but our focus is on the example of Christ that we are to follow, how we are to live. He said, this is how you should be. You should be willing to do this. This is how you think. This is your mindset. This is your, notice your attitude. What is your attitude? What is your attitude? It's how you think about something. How does that, how important is that? Your attitude is so important and impacts and affects so many things. Your daily attitude. Don't you like being around people who have good attitude? Don't you like that? And, and Paul says, this is what we should be. This is how we should live. We should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And look what it says here. Here, this is the, this is the hymn. This is the, this is the, this, this deep theology. Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice. Who being in very nature God. And a word there that there's, there's two words in this passage that the Greek language uses to describe this idea of this likeness. And one is morphe, which we get more to morph into, right? We used to say this, this person morphed into metamorphosis. This is where the word comes from. It's the idea of your essential being, your essential being. He says, who being in very nature God. It's a clear affirmation of the deity of Jesus Christ, the essential nature that he was God himself. And we teach this in the Christian church, don't we? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all three share the same essence or substance, but are distinct personas. That's our definition that the, the historic Christian church has held when it comes to the Trinity. They all share the same, what, what one is, the other is. They all share the same substance or essence, but they are three personas, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're equal. Jesus Christ was in very nature, morphe, very nature, God, but he did not consider, we're back to this word again, think, consider, ponder. He did not consider, his mindset was not that equality with God was something to be grasped, something to just to hold on to and never be willing to, to, to give up in a sense. And we'll talk about this because there's some Christian doctrines and also some heresies that come from this passage here if we're not careful. But he was in very nature God. And yet, 
His mindset was such that it was that what we're going to see here is it was not all about him, but about God's plan for salvation. He did not think of this as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Now, in the King James, I believe it says he emptied himself, right? He emptied himself. And, and from this passage, there have been some who have taught when Jesus came to earth, he gave up all of his divine qualities and all of his divinity. That's not what it says. When Jesus Christ, we, we teach, when we celebrated Christmas not too long ago, we talked about the incarnation that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. The incarnation. And he was completely God. Now, I know it's a mystery, right? I mean, like a baby. We talked about this. A baby, and yet he was God. What was his consciousness of that? Was There are some areas we have to leave to God. But the Bible tells us he was fully God. And he did not give up being God. He emptied himself. We could, we, maybe we could say he poured himself out. He emptied himself. It didn't say he emptied himself of something. It's that he poured himself out. He, he, we use the same language, right? So that person gave all. You might think of a sporting event where someone's just, you know, they gave their all. He, he gave it all. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. He was God himself, but he did not consider that something to be grasped and to hang on to, but he, he gave himself. He gave everything. How? Taking the very nature of a servant. Now I want you to, I want you to notice that, that it's the same word. You notice in verse six, being in the very nature, God, morphe, but he take, he took the very morphe nature of a servant. What does that mean? It doesn't mean he pretended to be a servant or he looked like a servant. Or it was just something he did for, for an example. No, he took on the essential qualities and nature of a slave, of a servant. God. Very nature, God. And yet he took on himself the very nature of a servant, of a slave. He became a servant. It's the same word. This was, he, he took on the very nature, the very substance and essential qualities of a servant. And then it says, being made in human likeness. And there's the other word for, for that we might say appearance. This is a, again, these are deep words here. He became made in the very likeness, human likeness. And that doesn't mean he appeared to be a human. He just kind of looked like a human, but the word here implies he, he did become a human, but he was not only a human. He was still fully God and fully man. And he took on the very nature, essential qualities of being a servant. And friends, this is, this is, this is the platinum rule. I mean, what did the Lord Jesus Christ say? The Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, in his passage, talking to his disciples, says, those are, those above, among you who want to be greatest, you must become the least. You must become a servant of all. And then he goes on to say, use the example, for even the Son of Man himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus Christ came as a servant 
And he came to serve. And of course, the epitome of, of washing his disciples' feet, of serving others, of exhausting himself, of pouring himself out. Poured himself out to the point that the only time he could get away to, to pray and commune with the Father was at night by himself. Because all day long he was, he was giving, 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 giving. And, and he, and he, and he poured himself out. He emptied himself. And he became a servant. I mean, think of it. He be, and this is why, um, I mean, I just, you know, why, why so many would reject the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the first century. This is not what the Messiah was supposed to look like. This is not what was supposed to happen. This is not the victorious ruling military leader and governor. He came and he, and he poured himself out. And he served and he served and he served and he gave himself. And then he says, and then, and then he says this in the epitome of it. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Have this same mind in you which Christ Jesus have. He humbled himself. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we talked about this on Good Friday. How horribly disgusting and repulsive the cross was in Roman culture. As we mentioned, not, no, no self-respecting Roman citizen would even mention the word. It was so repulsive. But he poured himself out. He went to the cross at Calvary and he gave himself. He became a servant in very nature. And he died on the cross even death on the cross. Friends, this is the example that we are called to follow. This is the example that we are called to follow. Paul Paul says, be like-minded. Think about this. Paul says, I want you to think the way Jesus Christ thought. I want you to have this mindset that the Lord Jesus Christ had. What was his mindset? He was God himself. And yet he poured this all out and became a servant, a slave, if you will. And he went to the cross at Calvary. Why? Because he put us first. He put you and me, put our salvation and our hope and our eternity. He put that first and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Friends, this is what God has asked us to do. This is the kind of people we are called to be. Paul says to the church at Philippi, listen, if you have any encouragement, any comfort, any fellowship, any love, any tenderness, any compassion, here's how I want you to be. I want you to be like Christ. I want you to be like-minded. I want you to have the same attitude. I want you as a church family, as a Christian faith community, I want you to think this way. I want this to be your regular way of thinking, your mindset that everybody else is more important than you and that you are willing to serve and to give yourself and to empty yourself because of the love of Jesus Christ. And how he concludes this here, this is a great hymn. Therefore, based on this, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him a name that is above every name. That And we read this earlier, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, the totality of the universe, that every every tongue is going to have to confess that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. I believe this is, when we look to the book of Revelation, we're studying Sunday night, when we look at the end, the end of the story, that everybody 
saved and unsaved is going to have to confess he really is who he said he was. Everybody is going to have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this very word Lord here, this very word for Lord, although it's in the Greek language in this context, would right away hearken back to the Old Testament, Yahweh, to the name of God. Lord. That He is God. That He is Lord. What? To the glory of God the Father. Now notice that. Notice where the glory goes. It's not, even here, even here in this acclamation, when every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's not to His glory, it's to the glory of what? God the Father. Everything about this, everything about this has to do with emptying and humility. Jesus Christ placed Himself. He is equal with God the Father. Equal. He's equal. And the Holy Spirit. But He chose to place Himself under the authority of the Father and come to earth for the sake of our redemption and our salvation. This is what God, this is the kind of attitude God wants you to have. Can you have this kind of attitude? Can you think this way? Can I think this way? Really, can we do this? I want to ask you. Let's think about this for a moment as we conclude this. We could do a whole series on this hymn here. Because there's so much in here of the, of the, of the, the incarnation of Christ. But those are our key words. Morphe. He became. He became man. Even though he was essentially God, he essentially became a servant. He appeared in the likeness of man. He was just like us. He shared in our humanity to its fullest, but he was still God. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. And God has acknowledged him as a name above every name so that the glory will go to God the Father. Now let me ask you this. And I'll ask myself this. Can we do this? Now I want you to think about this. Paul is telling these people to do this. This is not offered as a suggestion. This is not a multiple choice, right? Pick one of the above, or N-A, not applicable, right? If we are called to be this kind of a person, where do we start? Where do you start this? Do you start with the person who's easiest? Think of the church community. Think of the Christian community. It doesn't have to just be our church. Think of the faith community you are part of. It's this body of Christ, hopefully, for, for many of you. But you may have family, an extended family, that go to other churches. Or you may be here today as a guest and you have a faith community. Think of your faith community. Because this is written to the church. Because because if, if we can't do this in the church, we can't do it in the world. All right, let's, let's, let's start where, we are, where we're at. If you think of your faith community, your context, and if you were asked to work on a project that's going to take a lot of personal involvement, who is the one person you would not want to serve with? Come on now. Is there one person in the faith community? It might even be in your own extended family. It may be someone in the church. Maybe a Christian co-worker or neighbor. They're part of the Christian faith community. They say, God, I'll work with anybody. I'll serve on that project. 
They'll line up a hundred people. And that one person's in that lineup of a hundred persons that you would say, well, except for that person. You can start with the easy one, right? I can start with the people closest to me who I naturally love. I can start with those of you who are really easy to love, right? You're all easy to love. Come on, liven up a little bit here, would you? Yeah, okay. You're all easy to love. But there are people who are easier to work with than others. What about that one person? What about that one family member who's a Christian? Could you put this into operation? Is it possible? Maybe it's been years. But is it really possible to change your mindset? Is it possible that God would allow you to change your mindset so you would be willing to think of that person as more important than yourself? That you would be willing to pray for that person? That you would be willing to not only think, but to do for the best for that person? Is that possible? We can start with the easy ones. But you know what? If God were able to put the mind in me and in you of Christ Jesus, to have that mindset, Christ didn't come and die for the easy ones. Right? He didn't die for the easy ones. He died for the worst of sinners. Who in the New Testament said, I'm the chief of sinners? Who was it? Paul. He was killing Christians. He was wrecking havoc in the church. Paul says, I'm the first in line. I'm the chief of sinners. Christ died for me so that by my example, no one could say I'm beyond. Christ didn't, Christ didn't die for the easy ones. He died for the worst and for everyone. He came to seek and to serve and to offer his life a ransom. And I want to ask you today, I'm not going to ask you to write the name down because I don't want anybody looking over your shoulder in case they're sitting behind you or something, you know. Who is that one person? Who is that one person? They would really be hard for you to think of as better than yourself, to genuinely pray for their best and to reach out and to do something to show that your mindset is changing. Could you could you change your mindset? Could I change my mindset? I don't mean just for a day. I'm going to think about it for one day and I'm going to go back. If you're not willing to do it for that person, you're not going to do it. This is what God wants from us, friends. This is what God wants from us as a faith community. This is what God wants from us as families and friends. That when people look at us and when people see us and see us interacting, there is something about the way we love each other that when the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. By what? Huh? What is it? Your love for one another. 
not your incredible intelligence. We sang this morning, not our legacy and our name. Not even my biblical knowledge, if you will. But when all is said and done, this is how people are going to know that we really are Christians. It's by how we love one another. Let's begin with the mindset of Christ who emptied himself and poured himself out. Think of that one person that you could begin to change your mindset and say, you know what? That person is more important than me. That person is maybe the person you're struggling with the most. God, help me change my mindset that that person is more important than me and I am going to serve that person whether they like it or not. And I'm going to serve that person without hope of being served in return. But I'm going to do this because this is the mind of Christ Jesus. Paul says, make my joy complete, Philippians, by being this kind of a people and this kind of a faith community. Mark, let's close our service in our last song. God bless you guys for working today hard to present the worship service that we can lift our name, lift the Lord's name, and sing together. Let's stand, and we're going to sing our closing song. Amen. Let's close our service in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you will convict our hearts if needed today, Lord. Uh, There's a good chance for someone in our life that uh, we, as a Christian brother or sister, that we would really prefer not to be a part of their lives. And Father, uh, let us start there. Let us start with the mind of Jesus Christ. Let's be willing to empty ourselves of our conceit, our self-centeredness that we come by so naturally. Help me to do this, Lord. Help me to be humble. Help me to put others first. Help us and each of us here, to put others first. And Father, if there's a person here today that has not received your love and grace and mercy and received forgiveness for sins, but we read it in this passage, that Jesus Christ, fully God, in the likeness of humanity, came as a perfect sacrifice and offered himself willingly, out of choice, to die on the cruel cross of Calvary, but he rose from the dead, victorious over death, to offer us forgiveness for sins and eternal life. May you open that heart to the good news of salvation, the wonderful news, how much you love us. And may we be a place in a faith community where truly the love of God is obvious to all as we walk and serve together. And we pray this in Christ our Savior's name and all God's people can say together, Amen. Amen.